A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Today we've got a great malicious compliance story all about flying 12 hours. We'll get to that in a bit, but first, mom gets outsmarted by three-year-old me. This story was told to me by my parents, as I obviously don't remember it, being only three years old at the time. When I was little, I absolutely loved Thomas the Train Engine. I probably had well over a hundred different trains and who knows how many track pieces that were all kept in a big plastic bin. Each morning, I would go into my little play area and knock over the giant bin, spilling the trains and tracks on the floor, and start playing with them. Apparently, I enjoyed just having a collection of toys, as I would spend a good chunk of my day transforming the mess of trains into neat little organized rows, where all the trains were lined up perfectly side by side. This took quite a long time to get perfect in three-year-old me's eyes, especially as dad found great enjoyment in moving a train just slightly out of place when I wasn't looking, causing me to have to go over and fix the train that somehow moved on its own. And while I was distracted by moving one train back to how it should be, he would move another train out of position. Eventually, I would build tracks and actually play with my trains too, but at the end of the day, I had to put all my trains and tracks back in the bin. And as a way of teaching personal responsibility and to pick up after myself, mom would tell me, you made this mess, you clean it up. Now, I should emphasize, as my parents did when telling me this story, that every morning began with me dumping that bin over, something a toddler does not do very quietly. So mom was quite shocked one morning to not hear a crashing sound and to instead see me patiently sitting by the train bin, which was completely upright and not the littlest bit knocked over. I said, I want you to dump them for me today, mama. Mom, feeling quite touched that I wanted her to dump my trains for me, happily obliged. And then the day went on as normal, until it was time for cleanup, and Mom told me to put my trains away. I shook my little head defiantly and said, Nah, you made this mess. You clean it up. Dad had to leave the room crying, laughing, and Mom, a woman of her word, put all my trains away, but never dumped them for me again. Listen, if your three-year-old is smart enough to have this logic, you go ahead and you put those trains away for them because you want to encourage that line of thinking. That is so advanced. Also, hi, I'm Steven, and if you enjoy awesome stories of malicious compliance, why not hit that subscribe button down below? That said, our next story is three-year-old me pulls my first fast one. When I was three, my family and six-year-old sister lived right next door to a very small corner store in a very small little town. From the grass of our front yard, the front store entrance was maybe 10 feet away. You could also get into the fenced storage area outside and behind the store from the side of our yard, which the public couldn't see and didn't know about. This will be relevant later. One day, my mother, observing us from the front porch, let my sister and I return a six-pack of soda bottles at said store and used the money to buy candy. I didn't understand the exact process as my sister handled the deal, but the store owner was very nice, and I thought I was somehow getting free candy and that this arrangement was now permanent. The next day, I had run out of candy for my stash, and without waiting for my sister, since I was a big boy now, I went from playing in the front yard back into the store to get another free supply of candy. So I smiled and said hi to the owner, grabbed my free candy and headed out the door. 
The owner thought otherwise. He made what seemed like a big fuss, gratuitously gestulating, and loudly scolded me on how candy isn't free and I only get some candy if I trade him some empty bottles. He then pointed to an open door that led outside to the storage area in the back of the store, to where there was a stack of maybe 20 empty soda bottle six-packs to make sure I understood. You may know where this is going. So the next day, from my secret side yard entrance, I went and grabbed a six-pack of empty bottles from his stack, then returned back to my yard and then into the front of the store, where I returned the bottles for candy, just as the owner had instructed. I did this again and again. I pulled this magical candy trick off maybe three times that day and maybe three times the next and was growing an epic stash of candy back home. I was very pleased with myself and thought life was good. All before the owner finally realized his stack of soda bottles was not growing and waited in the back and caught me. I wasn't sure what happened wrong or why I was suddenly in trouble as I was only following the owner's instructions. Bottles for candy. That was our deal. When confronted, my mother of course apologized and paid back the missing money, but it was highly amusing to everyone after, all but the store owner. Then the story became often repeated family lore of how the baby easily and repeatedly managed to steal candy from the adult. I love that. It's not every day you can say, like a baby taking candy from an adult. I mean, OP was three years old. Surely they looked probably around three years old. I don't know what the shop owner really expected as far as like high level thinking of this exchange. Our next story is no overtime without management approval? Great. This one dates back a while to around 2017, but I've been waiting to share it ever since. So apologies if it's a bit long. Background, I was in my third year of an accounting job I absolutely hated, but I also hated the industry as a whole and was essentially using the position to bide my time as I learned a new skill to eventually jump to an entirely new career. My boss at the time, who I'll call Tia, was the shining example of the specific flavor of toxicity that I'd found sinking its teeth into most of the accounting departments I've worked in. Imagine the power trip of middle management plus the prestige of managing multi-million dollar transactions. She was the first accountant for the company when it started and had become the de facto choice for new highest position in the department every time the company's growth calls for a departmental restructuring. The only thing I could determine was earning her these positions was her confidence and conviction in the way she determined things needed to be done, which C-Suite just ate right up, even paying for her to get whatever training and certification she needed to qualify for the new roles presented to her. In the meantime, she'd given me three consecutive annual reviews, scoring a solid 0% satisfaction rate each time, which was always enough to justify a 0% raise, but never enough to justify actually letting me go and putting me out of my misery. So at this point, I was fully checked out, especially after finding out I'd become the lowest paid employee out of around 100, including interns and the front desk clerk. In the latest restructuring, Tia was not promoted to the new CFO role as the board wanted real experience, but was given a controller role while a new level of management was added between us. HR had also become its own department, no longer falling under accounting's purview. Tia didn't seem to like simultaneously becoming second in accounting's command while also losing control of HR. 
She convinced the company to send her to law school so she could eventually transition into some kind of Frankenstein-esque accounting legal HR position that would oversee essentially everything the company did outside of actual production. This required her to leave the office around 2 to 3 p.m. every afternoon to attend classes, making her unreachable until the evenings. The new management position that opened between us saw three to four employees join and leave for greener pastures over the course of a year and a half. But the story takes place while I was under the only manager I actually liked, who I'll call Kevin. I could see him doing what he could to advocate for me while still being forced by Tia to treat me the way she had previously treated me, and I could tell that made him feel awkward handing these decisions down my way. I respected his attempts to work with us, and he actually helped us create a functional and efficient department for a few glorious but short-lived months. The story, suddenly a bill was passed in the US stating that salaried employees making less than 40000 a year would be eligible for overtime pay taking effect later in the year. After three years of no raises, I was sitting at around $37,500 a year making me eligible for the eventual overtime. Working in accounting, it's pretty much expected that you'll be working 50 to 60 hours a week, especially when closing out the monthly, quarterly, and annual financials. However, after being shafted for so long and still being stuck with crap work that had little effect on the actual financials, I was actively giving them as close to 40 hours a week as possible only staying behind if we'd gotten an important request towards the end of the day that Kevin begged me to take care of before leaving. I knew it would look a bit off if I suddenly started working a bunch of overtime after this change took place, so I planned on very slowly ramping up my hours over the preceding months to eventually take advantage of the extra pay. After a month or two, I was regularly putting in 45 to 55 hours a week, with most extra hours spent remoting into my home computer to practice programming. And looking forward to the income this new workflow would provide me, I guess they eventually caught on as Kevin pulled me into a conference room and presented me with a contract to sign, stating that I wasn't to work any overtime without Tia's approval. For reasons you'll see below, I quickly recognized this as a way to never have to work an extra hour for the rest of my tenure at the company. I signed it and immediately cut out all overtime, leaving at 4pm that day as I'd work through lunch. The next day I stopped showing up early, started taking actual lunches, and could be heard peeling out of the lot at 5.01 every day. Kevin noticed my sudden lack of hours and tried to mention the contract not being in effect until the bill kicked in. I reminded him that we had signed a contract that failed to list a start or end date, so I considered it fully in effect. I could see the oh crap realization hit, but he begrudgingly accepted the loss. I'll mention again that he was great and this action had obviously come from Tia and he was now stuck dealing with the repercussions the same as I was, so he really didn't fight me too hard on it. Later that week, an important client request came in around 4.45. He asked if I could stay behind to work on it and I asked if he had Tia's approval. This was his second oh crap moment as unfortunately due to her classes, Tia had become unreachable between 2 to 8 p.m. every weekday for the foreseeable future, and he didn't usually know he'd need extra work from me until after 4. Everything went exactly to plan, as I got to enjoy a comfortable 40-hour week, throwing the contract back at them, 
anytime they tried to squeeze even an extra minute out of my time. Now for the real kicker, before the new bill took effect, a judge blocked it and shut it down entirely, meaning no more overtime pay for salaried employees. A crippling loss for the workforce, but I at least still got to enjoy my new schedule. Management tried to claw back my hours, but hey, I still have a contract that says I can't. Sorry guys. I was finally pulled into Tia's office, who tried to explain the lack of necessity for the overtime approval now that the overtime bill wouldn't be coming into play. I again reminded her we had a signed contract with no dates and no mention of this being in relation to the impending overtime law. Then came my favorite part of the conversation. So yes, this is still a valid contract, but I want to be clear that it doesn't override your original employment contract here with us. I said, you mean the employment contract that states 40 hours a week? And that was that. I was eventually let go a few months later after replying, because I don't, when the CFO mentioned people saying I look like I don't care about my job, but I'd finally built up my skills enough to find a position in my new industry while still enjoying my severance, so I considered it a win. Four years later, I'm doing work I enjoy from home, hanging out with my dogs with a calmer mind and a fatter wallet, all while they're still stressing over someone else's money. Literally the only thing that would make this better was if OP mentioned exactly why they don't give a crap about their job to the CFO. I mean, if you're gonna get fired for not caring, at least throw Tia under the bus as being the sole reason why. Our next story is, you want me to fly 12 hours earlier because it's cheaper? I, 56 year old male in the UK, was working in Africa as an operations manager for a large global security company from 2009 to 2014. The country I was working in had been through a long civil war and was very underdeveloped. Think no paved roads, people living a very traditional African lifestyle. At the time, I'd been working there on 10 weeks in the country and two weeks at home rotation for about four years. I'd flown to and from work so often that I'd had the journey down to the bare minimum travel time and it worked out the cheapest option for the company because travel days were paid from when I left home. The shorter my journey, the cheaper it worked out for the company. Someone in the head office had looked at cutting down on travel costs, probably to make themselves look good and get promoted. As a result, I got an email after a week at home saying they had changed my normal flight, which was 5pm on Sunday, from my nearest UK airport via Amsterdam and then on to Nairobi, connecting with a 9am flight to the war-torn country on Monday morning. The change was from the 5pm departure to a 5am departure the same day, same route, and saving about 80 British pounds. To clarify, the 9am flight from Nairobi was the first flight to the war-torn country because the destination airport was the only surfaced runway in the country. It had had no runway lights or radar, so all flights had to be in daylight. Anyways, I agreed to the flight time change, but they had to move it to the Monday so I don't lose a day at home. All will become clear. They agreed because they still saved 80 pounds on the ticket. No skin off their nose. Once I got the flight confirmation, I contacted the travel desk and asked for hotel and taxi bookings. When they asked why I need these, I explained that to make a 5am departure required a check-in at 3am, so I needed a hotel at the airport on Sunday night because no trains were running to get me the 3 hours to the airport from home for that time of the morning. The flights they booked would get me into Nairobi for 7pm, after dark. 
so I'd need a hotel there and a taxi each way to and from the hotel to get me onto the 9am flight on Tuesday. The same flight I would have been on if I'd left at 5pm, but a day later. A couple of days go by and I get a phone call from the company travel desk telling me the travel plan was confirmed. I was on the 5am flight with a hotel reservation at my UK airport the night before, a hotel in Nairobi after landing, and the taxi would collect me in Nairobi and drop me at the airport for my final connection. I asked about the cost saving. They said £80. I then asked about the hotels and taxis. They replied, oh, they don't come out of our budget. That's the operations budget, so you're fine. I was happy. I was arriving back at work a day later. They still paid the same amount with a night out in Nairobi to sweeten the deal. My boss, on the other hand, went nuts. Nobody had told him of the changes. My deputy flew out on the plane I flew in on, meaning I didn't get a handover of the work that was going on. On top of that, the cost for hotels, taxis, and extra days pay had all come out of my boss's operational budget. I think the total amount added was almost a thousand pounds, but hey, they saved 80 pounds on the flight cost. Whoever it was that decided to come up with this is definitely getting fired. Whoever missed this oversight, they've got a lot of explaining to do. Only do what's in my job title? Fine. Good luck paying employees. So, I work for a construction company as an inventory admin. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Storytime is sponsored by BetterHelp. Nearly everyone at some point in their life will struggle with their mental health, whether that's something stressful at work, in a personal relationship, or something else. I know that I really struggled with anxiety in my early 20s and therapy was a massive help for me. That's why I'm a massive fan of therapy and today's sponsor, BetterHelp. If there is anything in your life, big or small, that is negatively affecting you, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. It's an online therapy service that after finishing a small questionnaire will match you with a licensed therapist where you can book appointments that match up with your schedule at any place or any time. And if you feel like you're not bonding with your therapist, you can switch at any point for free. Also, therapy isn't just if you're struggling with mental health. If you're looking for guidance or ways to improve your social skills, life, or relationships, it's a great judgment-free way of doing that. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com StorytimePod today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash StorytimePod. My job is to basically schedule counts of our warehouse and input the numbers they give me for inventory. Then try to see what the problem is when the numbers on the last count and current count don't add up. There's a little more to it, but I won't bore you with the specifics. The problem with this job is that when you've been doing it long enough and are good at it, there's less work to do. In the beginning, when counting one rack out of 60 racks of material, it would take a few days. 
It was fine because I was always busy, but now that everything's in order, the entire warehouse can be counted in three days. This leaves me bored for most of the time. So to fix this, I studied up on our cloud-based ERP service that we use for all internal and external transactions and have become sort of an expert on it. Every single aspect of this company uses this ERP service to do their job. Timesheets, HR, payroll, accounting, scheduling, management, manufacturing, ordering from vendors, delivering inventory, etc. All runs through this ERP service. So it's very important that this service is up and running perfectly 24-7. I became so proficient in this service that our VP decided to cut ties with our consultants of the ERP because I could do what they did but better, quicker, and much cheaper. For reference, we were paying these consultants $5,000 a month just to be on standby if we needed them for some sort of problem that could arise from using this ERP and had to dish out more money to fix those problems depending on how many hours of their time was spent to fix said problems. Not sure on their exact rate, but it was something like $200 an hour and they took weeks to fix anything while I could fix the problem in time for my daily afternoon poo break. I never got an official job title or raise of any kind for being an expert on the service. The company just saw me being able to do it and let me fix things that happened so they no longer needed the outside help. I wasn't too upset because it gave me something to do, so I was glad to help the company save money, even if none of that money fell my way. Skip ahead a few months, we now have a new warehouse manager and someone in the warehouse screws something up in inventory by sending a bunch of materials to the wrong job with no records of it being shipped. We're talking half a million dollar mess up here. In the same day, our ERP had an update that caused a bunch of bugs with our accounting department. So I decide to work on the ERP problem first because the warehouse screw up is more of a delay screw up and not actually stopping anybody from doing their job at the moment. While this accounting problem means our bills are not able to be paid. You can guess what kind of issues we will have if bills are not paid. The ERP bugs turn out to be quite big and numerous, so it ends up taking me a couple of days to figure it out, but I fix it before any bills are actually due, and decided to take lunch a little early to celebrate a victory. Crisis averted! New warehouse manager storms into my office after I get back from lunch, and is livid. Apparently the bosses were pinning the blame on him for the warehouse screw-up, And considering he's the one who oversees shipments and the personnel in the warehouse, the blame is rightfully placed. He starts laying into me, asking why I haven't fixed the problem yet, yelling and screaming like a child. I tried explaining that I was fixing an ERP issue and have not had time to look at the warehouse problem yet. He gets even more angry and notes that it's funny how I have time to take early lunches but not do my job. That started to piss me off, but I held my tongue and kept calm about the situation. He then ordered me to only do what was in my job title and to leave the ERP BS to the people competent enough to handle it, as he put it. Since this guy was technically my supervisor, I had no choice but to obey. I asked him to send me that in writing, and he snarks and storms back into his office. Five minutes later, I get an email stating that under no circumstances am I to work on anything related to ERP unless it involves inventory. Cue malicious compliance. 
I do nothing but inventory from that point forward, knowing darn well that we would essentially be coasting until we hit a problem that I would refuse to fix. Sure enough, not even a week later, I get an email from HR that some sort of bug in the ERP system was preventing them from accessing payroll to pay employees this week. I reply an apology that I'm no longer able to work on ERP bugs due to supervisor and to refer to the ERP system help guide for further assistance. I knew the help guide wasn't going to help her in the slightest, but it was no longer my problem, so I wasn't going to deal with it. Skip a few days later to Friday, I checked my bank account in the morning before getting to work and laughed because there was no money deposited. That problem never got fixed. I hurry up and get to work, excited to see the chaos unfold, and what I was expecting was an understatement. When I show up to work, I see the entire warehouse staff of 50 people walking out the front door. I stopped one and asked why they were leaving, and they replied with, I didn't get paid today, so I'm not coming back until I do. I go into the office and see the warehouse manager in a panic. He has jobs that need material and nobody to load it onto trucks or deliver. I ask him if he needs help with anything and he just screams at me to leave his office because he's getting phone calls out the butt from superintendents of jobs asking why our material has not arrived yet. I pass by HR on the way to my office and see a bunch of bosses huddled up over her computer with angry and confused expressions on their face, I guess trying to figure out the problem. I felt bad for her because it was really something out of her control, but I knew she would ultimately be okay because she had been there so long that they would never fire her. When I get to my office, I see the VP waiting for me there. He has a very pissed off expression on his face. When we get inside, he demands to know why I didn't fix the problem in HR when she emailed me about it. I reply that I'm no longer allowed to work on ERP problems as it's not in my job title. He has the most shocked look on his face and asked why all of a sudden I had a change of heart. I show him the email from the warehouse manager and I could see the dots connect in his head. He immediately storms out and I see him heading straight to the warehouse manager's office. They were in there for a few hours, but eventually he comes back to my office. He seems calmer now and asks me politely if I can fix the problem in HR and if I can resume fixing the ERP if needed. At this point I liked the relief of responsibility and told him I would only do it if he put it officially in my job title along with a raise. His calmness turned to anger again and he says, I cannot believe you, as he storms out and returns to his office. A few hours later, he sends out a mass email that he's hired the old ERP consultants to fix the problem and that next week, everyone would be paid for the money they're owed, along with the money they earned if they returned to work. This one surprised me as he would rather pay over $60,000 a year to consultants than give me a few extra bucks an hour for better work. I think he expected me to change my mind and just do it for my own paycheck. But I decided to wait because I knew how these consultants were, and if they managed to fix this problem in a week, I would streak naked through the office. Most of the warehouse staff agreed to return, but were still upset about not getting paid. Sure enough, next Friday comes around, nobody gets paid again. At this point, it's becoming a real problem, and the entire staff is becoming agitated. They have bills to pay. I even heard a bunch of the warehouse talking about some competitors nearby they could go work for. At this point, 
I even considered just fixing the problem because the warehouse didn't deserve to be treated like that due to poor management. Maybe I am the jerk here for this, but I'm severely underpaid and can barely afford my apartment. There is no reason I should do extra work for free. That same day, the VP returns to my office and hands me papers. These papers said that I would be promoted to a newly created position that dealt with inventory and ERP upkeep. It would be its own department, and he would be my direct supervisor, and also came with a hefty raise. All I had to do was sign and agree. I looked up at him after reading the paper, and he had the saddest look on his face. Please just sign it. The consultant said it would take them weeks to get around to fixing it due to high volume of clients they've taken on, and we cannot keep skipping paychecks. I happily signed it, and immediately got to work on the HR issue. Managed to even fix it that same day. It was just a simple problem with the permissions of HR and payroll and the ERP due to the update. 100% know your worth. And also 100% don't do work for free. It's nice to help out here and then if you can. But in work, you should never get into a habit of doing extra work that you're not actually getting paid for. I mean, it's one thing if it's like your startup or something you're really trying to help build. But when you're just a grunt in their eyes, but they also expect you to do the work of multiple people, I think that doesn't fly. Our next story is, work during my planned vacation, then have to pay me extra when I leave. I had been working at this company for about three years. I had been consistently growing in my role, and eventually was given a project to own, with one to two other team members if needed, but it was a major project with a quick turnaround. I determined I could do it myself, though it would be tight, and since I was hoping for a promotion, I took on the project solo. I was able to deliver the project slightly ahead of schedule and with better quality than expected, which allowed us to make a huge sale. The head of the company gave me an award at an all-hands meeting for the work I did, and my boss let me know that I was on track for an end-of-year promotion with a nice pay raise and more responsibilities. But I was needed in another part of the business, so I was going to have to transfer under a new manager that was notoriously hard to work with. I transferred to this manager, and the first meeting we had to get on the same page, I brought up that I had a three-week planned vacation in four months. I had never taken vacation, so I had six weeks saved up and didn't want to start losing it. He told me, of course, that would be fine, and we would be able to make it work. About a week later, we have our first meeting with our product team. They had a new, large project idea and wanted it to be released in just three months. As my team looked over the details, we knew this was a six to eight month project at best, and it would be better to deliver it in smaller increments, so they still had something to show in three months, or we would need to push out the schedule. My boss was adamantly against both. So throughout the next week, he made us have last minute three to four hour brainstorming sessions every day. But he wouldn't even tell us until around 3 p.m., forcing all of us to work late every day that week. At the end of the week, there was no way we could figure out to deliver everything on the shorter timeline. And so my boss asked me to stay behind after the meeting. For another hour, he railed against me saying I was failing at this project and that he couldn't see me getting a good annual review in the four months and that a promotion wasn't even on the table. This annual review would also include the project I had just received an award for and is supposed to encompass 12 months of work. 
but he was basing this off of the first two weeks on this new team. At this point, I knew he was ready to use me as a scapegoat for his bad management and started applying elsewhere. We continued working on the project and sure enough, at the end of three months, we were still far from being able to deliver and my boss was getting heat from up above. Right around this time, I received an offer for another company that would be the promotion I wanted and an even larger pay increase. I accepted the offer and negotiated my start date to be after my vacation, now three weeks away. That same day, my boss calls me into his office and tells me, we need to talk about this vacation. I reminded him that we talked about it months before and that everything is booked, flights, hotels, etc. He would not let up and told me there was no way I could take three weeks off with how behind schedule we are. He told me I could go on my trip but I could not take vacation and would be expected to be online during our business hours throughout the trip, 4am to 1pm local time in my vacation spot. Cue malicious compliance. Every morning while on vacation, I would log on at 4am, check emails, answer questions on our internal chat, and do the minimum work expected, logging off as soon as it hit 1pm, all without burning any vacation. With one week left in vacation, I requested a conference call with my boss to give him my two weeks notice. He was shocked and tried everything to get me to stay and finish out the project, including bringing back up a possible promotion. I told him I'd already accepted a job with a start date upcoming. I worked my last two weeks. I worked my last two weeks before moving on to my new job. Because my boss required me to not take vacation, the company had to pay out all of my accrued vacation once I left, a little less than seven weeks at this point, including the three weeks I had originally planned to take. Now short-staffed, I heard from other co-workers that the project missed two more adjusted deadlines, and eventually the manager was demoted before being let go from the company. About six months later, the head of the first company asked me to lunch to offer me a role taking over my former boss's old position. I negotiated an even higher pay increase as well as company equity and ended up going back there for three more years. As OP was going along with the story, I could see that outcome coming along where they got out on top, but I didn't expect OP to come out that far on top. That dude's fired, gone, they got their job and they got even more money. What an amazing flip. But with that being said, that's all the time we have for today. Now, if you want to hear another awesome malicious compliance story, check out that video on the left. Or if you missed my latest video, check out that video on the right. That said, I'll see you all next time with some more stories. Acast anbefaler. Mit navn er Anders Morgenthaler. Over for mig sidder Roald Bergmann. Vi har lavet en ny podcast, der hedder Dopaminklubben. Og Dopaminklubben er en klub, hvor ADHD er fucking sjovt, og hvor det griner. Det behøver ikke at være super alvorligt. Vi skider skidt af alle de der podcasts og forklarer meget nederen der. Vi gør grin med vores ADHD. Mulig ADHD. Ja, vi udreder mig, fordi nogen siger, at jeg har det. Jeg ved det ikke rigtigt, det finder vi ud af. Vi har i hvert fald lavet vedmål. Ind og lyt til Dopaminklubben. Hver uge udkommer vi. Der laver vi sjov og spas med at have den her vidunderlige dopaminmarked.